Live from Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on Strathclyde Fusion! What's happening, everybody, and welcome to this. Another episode of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet live from Glasgow, talking all things great and wrestling. I am your host this week, Stephen Wilson, and joining me on the panel this week we have a packed or stacked, depends on your preference, <laughs> a group of wrestling experts here with me today. So first, first off, on the first off joining us this week we have. The king of Kfab. We have the modern day Maharaja. It's David Hockney. <laughs> oh, I never thought you'd be able to use that term to describe me, but hey, oh, I'll I'll just take it in my stride. Uh, Hi, how you doing? How's it going, David? Yeah, good to be back. Excellent. Also, also joining us this week, we have the not king of the independent circuit, the cult of Clarkston. It's Joshua Hong. <laughs> Yeah, I botched this last week. My name is Joshua Holm. I forgot my name last week. <laughs> uh, he's from Busby. I'm from Clarkston. I should be the cult of Clarkston. I am from Clarkston. You're the modern day Maharaja because of last week. You don't okay. even know the boundaries of Clarkston. That's a sign that I'm the king of Clarkston. Fine, I'll take modern day Maharaja then. And joining us as well this week, making his suplex retweet debut. He's better known for his Monday night rants, but tonight he's causing a ruckus. It's Kyle Henry. It's glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. No problem. How are we all doing, guys? Yeah, not bad. Looking Very forward, well. to, looking forward to tonight's show. Absolutely, yeah. Good. It's good to have David back. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, you haven't seen me in a while. <laughs> I've been in the land down under for a couple of weeks now, but I was back last week as well. <laughs> yes, for anybody listening to us, we are Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Obviously, uh, if you're listening, give us a message. We are on Twitter at ESS Retweet or Facebook at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. This is part of the Fusion Takeover section of Strathclyde Fusion. We're also on Twitter there at Fusion underscore Takeover. Right, guys, this week's subject, you may not... Oh, sorry, I forgot about him. Uh, is also here. <laughs> yeah, the man behind the... It's because he's not got a mic. He's not getting a majestic <laughs> intro I'm, here. I'm shutting you all down. <laughs> yes, our number one DJ, the man behind the mixers, it's Kwaku Aji. Hello. <laughs> right, so this week, you may not know it from the intro, but we're talking about... We'll be talking about one of the greats of the wrestling industry. Yes. It is this man. Yes, if you don't know who that is, uh, are you really a wrestling fan? Yes, we are talking about the great dead man, The Undertaker. And the this is the first of a series of specials we'll be doing on The Undertaker. First of all, guys, tell the public, are we Undertaker fans? Absolutely. You know, I, I've said, you know, no. <laughs> I've said apart from maybe a handful of guys, I'd say Undertaker is arguably the most iconic superstar of WWE in history. 
We, like everybody knows who he is, or almost everyone. We didn't have uh, everybody on the Undertaker there with Kyle. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm the one person who's probably most against Undertaker. If everyone I know, all the wrestling fans, I'm like, nah, not. You're the me. one in twenty one and one. And I'm in the middle. Twenty three and one now, is it not? <laughs> twenty three and two now. Twenty three and two, yeah. Oh, yeah. Does it work the same way? Josh in the middle though. <laughs> Mixed yeah, I like him sometimes, great. yeah. A mixed opinion on the panel. That's lo- exactly what we wanted. I love it, great. Right, so this uh, for the first of Undertaker specials, we'll be talking about gimmick matches in, uh, of the Undertaker. So he was involved in many, but before we talk about the gimmick matches of the Undertaker, let's talk about the gimmick of the Undertaker. So the Undertaker is obviously Mark Calloway, but since 1990s better known as The Undertaker if you again if you don't know who Undertaker is can you clearly, truly clash yourself as a wrestling fan probably not you get uh, you get punched in the street if you don't know who he is yeah for those who don't know about Undertaker he, uh, <laughs> he is essentially it was a, mort- it's, a, it's, a it's meant to be a mortician character I'm right in saying he is a de- he's the dead man he's meant to be obviously the undead yeah so can we, can we talk open up guys can we talk a bit more about The Undertaker gimmick in general I think it's Probably one of the best gimmicks they've done ever. Mm. You know, it's it's lasted twenty seven years. Is that right? Yeah. Since uh, yeah, twenty seven yes. years. A few debuted weeks ago. at nineteen ninety Survivor Series. Undertaker was part of a Survivor Series elimination match as part of Ted DiBiase's team mm-hmm. at the time, managed by Brother Love. Yeah, he had some weird managers back in the day. Definitely weird. What sorry? Uh, weird managers. He had some weird managers. He had two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Brother Love, I think, you know... Yeah, Brother Love and, and Paul, Paul Bearer. So, weird managers, we're talking one weird manager? Mm, okay, one weird Well, technically, manager. Paul Bearer's weird. We're not to undertake <laughs> Jimmy Hart was a bit weird. Did Jimmy Hart ma- did they match? I think every wrestler is a bit weird, though. Yeah. <laughs> weird in their own particular way. It's better to not be normal. But Undertaker stood out when he first debuted. I mean, obviously, he, Ted DiBiase <sighs> announced him as the fourth member of his team and all you see him is this big near seven foot guy pale white skin 300 pounds wearing the weirdest gloves (laughs) (laughs) like one pound out of the co-op at Halloween you could still he still had tints of ginger in the the roots of his hair as well it wasn't all black it was weird but he did look like a dark character the dead like a zombie the dead man yeah that's that's, that's no better way of putting it he was the dead man that uh, obviously nickname didn't come about till a bit later on but Looking, uh, looking back on that gimmick, I think that it came at a time though where a lot of wrestlers did have kind of day jobs as their gimmicks, though. So mm. that was sort of the theme of the golden era as well. Like a lot of superstars' gimmicks was just your everyday walk of life type job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you know, you had uh, police officers, you had builders, people, man. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, an undertaker. But he was the only one out of that out of that kind of. Uh, style of gimmick based on professions that actually worked and stood the test of time. you got to also remember his name wasn't originally The Undertaker as well, it was originally Kane The Undertaker. Kane wink, The Undertaker, wink, yeah. Wink, spelled wink, wink, talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> C, but spelled C-A-I-N. Uh, I think it was actually spelled the way Kane as in. Oh, Kane, was yeah. it? Yeah, hmm. I'm sure it was spelled oh, that well. way. Yeah. Apparently his, uh, The Undertaker wasn't almost never happened as well. Right. Because Tell us more. when... Well, I did. I did my uh, my research, and from what I hear, is that 1990 Survivor Series. Who else debuted at that pay per view? Someone you probably infamously debuted. Hulk Hogan. Oh, the gobbledygooker. The gobbledygooker. Yep. I was about to say X Pac. That's completely no. wrong. See, there were rumors floating around. Like 
Mark Calloway was coming into the WWE. He was going to debut at Survivor Series. He needed a gimmick. Some ideas floating around were a Viking as one. Uh, I can't. There was one more, but I can't quite remember. But the one in particular, there was someone had suggested that he should be the gobbledygooker and pop out of the egg. Imagine if he'd actually been that gimmick. I know. How do you think wrestling would be right now? Oh, it would. It was like it's like if you change something in the past and it changes the future completely. That's kind of the the effect it would have. But yeah, they settled with an Undertaker gimmick, and it's the rest is the rest is history. Basically, we talked a bit before the show. I mean, uh, this this that is, it was a gimmick of its time, but. It was amazing how long it stood the test of time. Well, obviously, before we go into the main subject of the show, would that type of gimmick stand up in current day wrestling, guys? Probably. Um, I think so. I think, again, with the job gimmicks, it actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. So some yeah. people, it's like, why are you wrestlers? So there's a lot of wrestlers at the moment where their gimmick is, I want to be good at wrestling. But the Undertaker's gimmick was, I'm going to steal your soul. And it's like, I'm going to beat you to death, and I'm going to take your soul. I think that's why it works. That sounds yeah. It's a, it's a it's a really sort of captivating character. Yeah, I, I don't think it really works now, to be honest, because back in the day, everyone had a wild, crazy, supernatural gimmick if they wanted. Whereas now, as Kyle says, everyone's just kind of themselves as an athlete. So mm. when you kind of pick one guy and say, "Oh, this one's supernatural," it suddenly comes off as a bit contrived and a bit cheesy. Mm. Um, see, see about that argument though. I mean, the Undertaker, he wasn't like a. Uh, one of the sort of smaller indie type guys you know he was a big guy like probably one of the biggest on the roster and yet he could do some moves that you know not most guys his size couldn't even do at I mean, all i don't so, think there's any correlation between a, size and being an independent wrestler no, i'm just what well, the, the point i'm making is he was a very athletic type uh mm. he was very athletic mm. for his size yeah, he, he, he really he really found his true athleticism later in his career mm-hmm. you know but, uh, I would argue for the first 10 years it was like mostly punch matches I would call them he never had his standout matches until later on in his yeah. career yeah, Definitely. He, he got London. but that, the matches type thing is something we will talk about uh, maybe a bit later on more into our great mm-hmm. matches Undertaker se- part of the series in the coming months but obviously we came up to the fact that he, he was a supernatural gimmick so because of how Obviously, that gimmick was so much different from all the other things that we talked about. The Repo Man, we talked about, obviously, Policeman, the Boss Man. It opened up a lot more interesting matches. And that's what the main subject of today's show is going to be. Uh, the t- some of the gimmick matches, mm. the Undertaker was either directly pioneering or he had a part to play in these matches. So what we're going to do, we'll talk about a few of the matches. Maybe he had less of an impact in, but he was part of the creation of it. And then later on in the show, we'll go into the ones that he is best known for, and he is the man for. Mm-hmm. So will he be joining us in the studio today to discuss this I was waiting us? for a gong to hear and he'll just pop up out of the floor or something. Sadly, sadly Mr. Taker is uh, pre-booked this evening. He is currently sending autographs. We definitely checked. <laughs> <laughs> right, so let's start off with... <laughs> I thought we saved the worst for first. <laughs> worst for first, let's do it. The Punjabi prison match. God. <laughs> oh, that's not the worst. Yeah, I actually really like that gimmick. No, I whether, hate it. Whether the wrestlers involved carried it out well is a different story, but I really like that gimmick. Let's talk about a wee bit for those who are not familiar with the Punjabi prison match and its beginnings. Uh, Undertaker in 2006 was just off. He defend, successfully, def- successfully defended his streak at WrestleMania against Mark Henry in a casket match. And on the first SmackDown after that, who would show up but a man called the Great Khali? 
well known in wrestling folklore. Mm. <laughs> uh, essentially, Cali had the better to take her for the first two months Cali was on the roster. And they had to think of a match to kind of, it was kind of to kind of accumulate the feud, kind of run it to its conclusion. And instead of your usual matches, maybe the Steel Cage, Falls Count Anywhere, they initially came up with the idea of the Punjabi prison match. Can one of you guys, to anybody who's not familiar with it, kind of explain how the match is? Yeah, it's like um, two cages made of bamboo. Like, the, your, there's one around the ring, like your standard steel cage, but obviously it's made of bamboo. And then they've got like a... Steel like a so- yeah, steel reinforced bamboo, thank you, Quacko. And then you've got some sort of like weird octagonal shaped cage that's also made of the steel reinforced bamboo. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a little bit of a gap between the inner cage and the outer cage, uh, which separates the ring. The inner cage is four doors, and you can get a referee to open it whenever you want, but you've got 60 seconds to get, there, to get out, otherwise the door gets locked. That's, but, what, that's why he's the analyst, folks. <laughs> he knows the rules. Yep. And if all four doors get locked, you have to climb out the cage and you have to win by... The only way you can win is by escaping both cages. Now, obviously, I said that. I think it's the worst. But you and Josh, Kyle, you both disagree on this one. Uh, can you maybe explain... I mean, from David's description, to a lot of people, that sounds like this match may not be safe. I mean, obviously, it's not steel. It's, it's well, almost yeah. like forces bamboo. I mean, first of all, I would say I think one of the worst matches he did was a biker chain on a pole match. Because anything I decided match, to leave the biker chain on the pole match out of the game. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not. It doesn't even make the list. That's how bad it is. But for me, the psychology of like a normal steel cage is like, oh no, I'm trapped in with this person I've had a feud with, but. I think there's only been three of these matches. Yep. yep. And the the psychology is why would you ever go out through the do like through the bottom? I think Batista did it in the second match. You just climb to the top of the first one, jump to the top of the outside one and climb down. So it's like Yeah. But bear in mind as well, um Batista faced Kali in that match mm-hmm. and you know they're again, they're both not small guys. Like Kali's like freaking nature, Batista's still pretty massive in his own right. Mm. Uh, but yeah, no, you'd expect like a cruiserweight or someone much, much lighter to jump from one structure to another. Would you expect a 300-pound man to do it, though? I mean, the, see, yes. the, see, the thing about the first match as well is he ended up not facing Cali. He faced the Big Show. Yeah, it was but, Undertaker Big Show was the first one. But see, before we get to that, though, if we're just debating how good that gimmick for the match is, if you think about it, it's really just a steel cage match. With a few extra stipulations about winning thrown in. Yeah, with four, but, except you have four doors in that one, well, and then you've got to get I, another yeah, cage. I just don't understand how we could hate this match so much because it's essentially just a cage match. So it's, it's difficult to hate this match without hating Hell in a Cell or without hating a normal cage match because, really, in, in terms of gimmick, it's actually not much difference. The only, the only thing that maybe swings opinion a little bit is whether or not the match actually went well on the day, and I'd argue that that's more to do with the superstars involved. Yeah, or yeah. the storylines at the time. No, definitely. That's a good. That's a fair point. I mean, obviously, it's maybe not as David said. Cruiserweights, obviously, you tend to see them do a bit more high flying. But because the first match it was meant to be Kali, but we had Big Show take up, it maybe wasn't the exact same. The first two matches, you know, all the guys were at least three hundred pounds. Exactly. So, but again, this was a match take a pioneer in a way because he was in the first one, but it wasn't really one of Taker's signature main pioneer matches. One of the ones I'll go on to now is one of the ones he had a bit more involvement in, but maybe wasn't, again, maybe it wasn't his idea. The Boiler Room Brawl. Mm, I can't post, I can't really comment on that. I haven't really seen any Boiler Room Brawls. I would brawls. say this is Mankind's gimmick match. It was Mankind's gimmick match, but again, in the way it was, Taker was obviously 
involved in the first one because he it was, was feuding it, with mankind. It was a bit of feud the two of them had had at that point in time. I think it was fair to say it led since WrestleMania that year, and this was obviously going into mankind's environment. But Taker was obviously fundamental in this whole match. But I guess that's that says a lot about Undertaker as a character, um, because if you think about it, you know, Boiler and Brawl, arguably Mankind's match, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, Punjabi Prison, arguably Great Cal- well, not arguably, it is Great Khali's match. Mm-hmm. So, um, the fact that Undertaker's a character that can be a catalyst for these other characters to get gimmicks over and do something new in WWE, it shows a lot about what kind of player he is in that industry. I just think it adds to him more as like, oh, I can't beat him in a match because he's a spooky dude and can summon ze- uh, demons and possess Josh Matthews I better do something that <laughs> no one has seen before so again you know I mean, that was what was the rule of the boiler room brawl the rule of the boiler room brawl was the match started in the in the boiler room uh-huh. they fought off and then they had to make it to the ring where Paul Bearer was with the urn okay so again I watched this match the other day mm-hmm. I hadn't watched this in a few years and one of the things that obviously it was quite difficult to kind of see what was going on but we've seen a lot of, of objects that you find in your boiler room your planks of wood bits of metal your, falling all over each other your broom your dustpan it was it was an int- it was interesting in the time because at that point in time it was a time when WWE was struggling within the Monday Night Wars and they were, this was the, one of the first examples where they were really starting to push the boundaries in what they were producing mm. but that's more the, the main reason it's kind of associated with Taker is obviously that part I talked about where you had to go out and get the up that was the main thing about it obviously that was his kind of added Taker's element to it. Obviously, you, Kyle, as you said, the boiler room part of it was made of mankind, but to go get the arms Taker's mm. thing. But that's the kind of point that people mostly remember about the match, was that whole Paul Bearer having the arm. So, um, David, you obviously you're not too familiar with the... No, I don't. I didn't watch it back in the day. You know, I, I only started watching like 2004. Well, this was the night where uh, Paul Bearer turned on the Undertaker. Oh, yeah. With, uh, under, when he hit him over the head with the arm. Or was it Mankind that hit him with the urn? Uh, uh, One I, of the two, yeah. I think it was maybe Paul refused to give him the urn and then Mankind hit him with it. Yeah, I think this eventually led up to like Mankind, Kane, Taker and I believe Stone Cold getting in that four-way feud for a while. That's yeah, just, yeah, I do well. remember that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But that was it was an interesting match in that way because it was something we hadn't seen before. Again, that's obviously the thing where a guy like Taker and Mankind, you got that type of two, guy, two unusual characters at that time and obviously you got that thing you can have a match in that's completely out of the realm in other industries mm. but then is it actually Taker or is it like who could actually do that with their gimmick because obviously like in the mid 90s this was before even Kane debuted so it's like oh it's the spooky dude versus the crazy guy with leather belt on his face <laughs> it's like I couldn't imagine say Mankind versus I don't know who's big at the time like Bret Hart I don't think it would have the same impact yeah I mean I'll from there, we'll move on to a match that's kind of... Again, it's not fully Taker, but it's a bit more Taker than the two ones discussed of. It's the Inferno match. Ooh, yeah. Was that not... That's Kane's match. That sounds more like Kane's match, yeah. Well, it is Kane's match, but Undertaker, again, it's got a bit of a direct... Brothers the, of Destruction. The first few matches, are, as I said, they're kind of matches. Undertaker's got some involvement in how the gimmick ca- the match came about, but it's not fully his match. And again, this yeah. is an example the of story it. Be- the story behind his gimmick as well is, was he not the one that started the fire that ca- killed Kane's family? Well, both killed, killed, killed their parents, yeah. yeah. Both their parents killed yeah. their parents, yeah. It's, it's it's interesting how that's in wrestling. That's the one thing you kind of see normally, <laughs> like fires, you know, fire around the ring. But yeah, David just bought on. That's how the kind of I the the Kane's gimmick came about from 
Uh, apparently he, he was, was, he was a bird fu- victim. He was a bird victim from the funeral home at the their family. I ran. Th- yeah. Only in WWE. Only in wrestling. I think that was one of the most exciting gimmick matches ever in WWE. Whether it was or not it was one of the best gimmick matches. Uh, sorry, whether or not it was one of the best matches is a different story. Mm. But um, I remember um, being, oh, I must have been eight years old and being taken to the VHS shop for my birthday and being allowed to pick any WWF, which was what it was at the time. VHS from the shops and VHS. I remember at the end of the day after reviewing the back of every single pay-per-view or on sale the Inferno match was the one thing that made me think this has to be the one so that was Unforgiven 1998 it wasn't the only Inferno match but I thought it was excellent it was interesting that was really a pushing of the boundaries match because yeah. it kind of started again at, this is just before Attitude Era, or around about Attitude mm. Era time this was launching, it was kind of like, it was a bit of a risk from WWE to go with this match. You know? It was like, yeah, let's set someone on fire. That'll get his ratings. <laughs> yeah, it's fire is obviously literally the most combustible thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> so whether that translates into the actual match quality is a different story. But um, I mean, In case we maybe got some fans listening who are not as familiar with that old school type of match because currently it's now called the Ring of Fire match which is completely kind of different but uh, what uh, can anyone describe in a bit more detail how you win the Inferno match? You set your opponent on fire that's that's, that's the long and short of it I think more specifically you win by setting Kane on fire well not necessarily Kane's faced other people in Inferno matches and he sets them on fire yeah, that's oh, yeah, yeah, MVP. Yeah. That was yeah. yeah, MVP wore that giant, he always wears like a, a jumpsuit or a singlet. Yeah. And yeah, he set that on fire, got like burns all the way up his back. Or you could I, be I think, Bray Wyatt and just win by pin, which is the most pointless. That's the Ring of Fire method, it's the PG <laughs> version. <laughs> that's what's interesting about that gimmick though, because like the first two times they did it, you know, you won by accidentally sort of setting fire to somebody's limbs when they're wearing some sort of flame retarded costume. But then, um, and you know, the later on with the MVP match, they just seem to take a normal guy and just set the entire guy up at a blaze yeah. and all of a sudden it's it felt like, really sinister. It's not like he went for a clothesline and he actually went crashed into it. Literally, yeah. Kane held him by the throat and literally just leaned him on as if he was like lighting a I candle mean, or something. I mean, the first two in front of the matches, it was both, ta- well, two of the first ones was taken on Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of had a stark difference, obviously it was round about different times. The first one, it was kind of just like... Mm a bit more different mm-hmm. than the Taker's character but the second one he was obviously a bit more evil at that point mm. in time he was more determined to set his brother on fire yeah yeah. I think there was well there was a see the way they ended though it wasn't like a, a huge burner it was like they set like a glove or a boot on fire and that was it really that's what I was going to say am I right in thinking the first two oh, in fact all three matches ended outside of the ring rather did, than yeah. in the ring so uh, that's like a common theme with WWE when they when they put a structure in that's designed to keep people in, that's practically a guarantee that the match is going to end outside of the structure. Or they'll get out somehow during the match. Well, yeah, but that's what I said. <laughs> but but uh, th- that match, if, if you kind of, for safety reasons, need to always make sure it ends outside the ring so that they're accessible, it kind of does take away from un- the unpredictability yes, of it. Yes. It, it's bit, a match yeah. that, in similar... It's not obviously called the Inferno match, but similar styles of match in Japan have gone horribly wrong with that kind of thing, you know, with the whole whole mm. venue needing to be evacuated and things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a risk. But obviously, that's the, the that's the final one of the kind of three matches I kind of thought were kind of Undertaker involved, but not his main matches. Is there any other ones that come to mind? Obviously, he's got ones where he as his match, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about them in a bit later. Is there any ones you can kind of think of off the top of your head, guys? Concrete come to mind? Crypt. The last oh, right match. Oh, the Concrete Crypt. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, was, I remember that. that. Was, I was mortified that day. That was absolutely mortified. 
That was an incredible one. For those who are not familiar with the Concrete Crypt match, it was The Undertaker versus The Dudleys at Great American Bash 2004, where Undertaker had to win to prevent Paul Bearer being encased in cement. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Wow. and That main evented the pay-per-view as well. Yeah, but the thing was, Taker won and they still did it. <laughs> yeah. And then they did nothing with it. It was just like, I had to eliminate Paul Bearer to focus my energy on Paul Heyman. And then we got Heidenreich. <laughs> Don't get us started on Heidenreich. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was just saying as well, you know, he's, Josh said Concrete Crypt. Last ride match. See, that is one of his matches. So yeah. that, that doesn't technically count in this one. That is a technical one of Taker's signatures. Okay. He's got that. Oh, we'll come to the last ride in a wee bit. But is there any other ones? Okay, as they say, we've got Concrete. Kyle talked about the biker on the chi- biker biker. chain on a, on a pole match. Yeah. Uh, interesting enough, this was post Vince Russell WWE. Yeah, uh, Pole matches don't when, work. I don't even know why they're still doing them. This was when Undertaker decided, oh, Austin seems to be selling a lot of t-shirts appealing to, like, the, the, the in quotes, average American. Oh, I like motorbikes. I'll become this motorbike <laughs> dude like uh, Hell's Angels. But new metal's in, so I'll also listen to Limp Bizkit. There's this <laughs> weird time, and this was when Lesnar um, came in, so their initial feud... And uh, there's a thing with Undertaker's hand it was in a cast at the time because Lesnar destroyed yeah, it with a fire that was extinguisher. An, that was that was the year before the biker the, the biker chain and pole match. Mm-hmm. This was around about the Hell in a Cell match. Was it the Hell yeah. in a Cell was 2002? Then it was the biker chain match. That was the year after. We'll talk about the Hell in a Cell later, obviously. Yeah. 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 No, biker chain match was 2003, right? Just before he came, went back to Deadman gimmick. Mm-hmm. So moving away from the ones, obviously, David talked about it, it's one of my next points, and they had the. First Real Undertaker signature match we'll talk about. Obviously not the first. It was more the last of his matches. The last ride match. Last ride. Obviously, it's great marketing from WWE. He does a move called the last ride. Let's name... Let's stick... Let's, let's make it a gimmick match. Let's make it a gimmick match. Uh, it's not been used very often. I think it's only used maybe twice. Twice, yeah. Twice, yeah. When he fought JBL and Mr. Kennedy. Yep. Mr. Uh, Kennedy. <laughs> Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, again at Armageddon 2006 where the aforementioned Inferno match with MVP happened. Yeah. These have fond memories of the last raid match, guys. Yeah, actually, it was brutal. You know, some of the spots they did, it was... Oh, especially in the second one as well. That was ridiculous. The what kind were of stuff those they spots? Did. Well, Mr. Kennedy threw Taker off the Armageddon stage because had a bit of an elevated section. Uh, Taker got did a spot off that. He got thrown off the, the top of that. Fell about, I don't know, 15, 20 feet or so. Uh... Yeah, Kennedy stuck him in the hair, so he was about to drive out, and then he did the old sit-up and did the whole comeback stick. Uh, but then, after that, he got Kennedy was destroyed, chokeslammed, and tombstoned on the hearse. He took a bit of a beating. I think that's yeah. fair to say. And uh, then the one before as well, I think JBL got tombstoned on the steel stairs. Yeah, the the one before, I think the first one really came, kind of came about because they were feuding, and Undertaker chokeslammed them through the a limousine, limo, the yeah. limo at SummerSlam, and they decided to have the, the last ride match. Again, kind of based on around that gimmick. Yeah, it but was. It was. Uh, well, it was actually JBL that brought the hearse out to signify that because he, he beat the Undertaker. It's now the Undertaker's demise. He's going to retire, and you'll see, never see him again. But then Teddy Long sees the hearse and makes the gimmick match. I mean, you, you got to think. I mean, as you say, there's only been two. They've not done it since 2006. It's not this kind of same as in the final match. No, there's well, got to be the reason why WWE are not going to this match again. Well, it's kind of similar. But well, I was going to say it's actually very similar to the ambulance match. Because the ambulance matches, you the only way you win is to put them in the ambulance and then have it drive out. 
Whereas with the the last ride match, you just replace the ambulance with a hearse, and did that's it, that's it really. I actually don't remember these. This was the time I didn't watch wrestling. But did anything happen with that? Because I feel the ambulance match is like oh, a big feud ender. They're in hospital, so it's kind well, of like yeah. oh, I beat you. But I feel like the Undertaker. I think it's just, I think it's just a way to keep that sort of same ish gimmick around, well, like, but just not necessarily I feel directly involved. Taker. Been some other where the, promos where the where ke- like with the Kennedy one, that was the payoff to the feud. It was kind of the big end of that one. Yeah, yeah. but there wasn't like because if I was you know booking that wherever, I'd have some weird backstage promos where they're like, I'm trapped in a graveyard or some. Because I mean, if you're getting drove off by the Undertaker, I feel you're not going to hospital. Well, the thing about that, the lap, the the lap, the, the first match where they fought JBL, uh, Heidenreich got involved. Mm-hmm. Again, we talk about Heidenreich. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was technically he was in the the hearse, I believe. Uh, cost take of the match, drove the hearse backstage, and then knocked ra- him out with chloroform as well. He did, yes. And um, I believe the end of that night was Heiden the the yeah, Heidenreich crashes a truck into the the hearse. Yeah, standard WWE again. Oh yeah, they love it. They love us. That was crash. peak of the ruthless aggression era. They go a little bit mental, but not as attitude era mental. But like, as I said. They've not done this. They've not went to the well in this match again since two thousand and six. There's because they have the ambulance match to sort of yeah, replace it. How many times have done an ambulance match since? Quite a few, actually. I think it's part of Undertaker's like, thing. Like I know, in later years, he only did the one match a year. Where if you're seeing this spooky dude that's coming out all the time, it, you know, like it's the Lesnar effect. You don't have the same thing where if Undertaker comes out any time that's not between Rumble and Mania now. Everyone goes, oh my god, it's the Undertaker. You know what I mean? I feel that was the kind of thing where it was a bit like we were used to cage matches, but Undertaker would bring out, say, a last round match. Like, oh, I've not seen this before. I think it was a good way of adding to his character and getting those ticket sales in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's A gimmick match always sells anyway. A lot of these gimmick matches are just very similar to other gimmick matches that are already in play but just marketed around his character. Inferno, Ring of Fire, Last Ride, Ambulance. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it, was, it was, as David says, it's similar to the ambulance, but it's obviously, it's taker centric, you know. It's hard to kind of see. There's not really anybody. The only guy potentially who's got some kind of closeness to taker's gimmick nowadays, Bray White's probably one of the closest. Uh, there's not many that kind of have that similar. No, because Undertaker wins matches occasionally. Oh. Yeah, that, but that, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. And that's coming from a Wyatt fan. I don't someone think, who hates Taker. I, I like Bray Wyatt as well, but I don't think the gimmick works particularly well, and that just goes to show what we were saying earlier on about would the gimmick have worked a little bit later on. He's just been booked horribly. I mean, his gimmick's fine, but you know, if, if you don't give him wins, he's, he's got no substance. Anyway, but any last thoughts on the last ride match? I'm, I'm kind of sad they haven't kept around, but I think the ambulance match sort of kind of takes its place in a sense. Mm. It just doesn't. It's just an a- ambulance matches without the taker. Twist. I don't know if I'm. Has there, any, has there been any good ambulance matches? Rain Strowman. Yeah. No, yeah. it was awful. Yeah, well, it was a good booking decision, though. I'll give him that much. Yeah, it's good. Uh, what about Kane Shane? No, Kane Shane was terrible. As well. All right, was it? Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose the only one I can remember after that is Kane Cena, and that was even worse. Uh, right I, back in, I, right, I have right. one that's not an ambulance match, but it's basically the same premise of an ambulance match, which was you need to, like, make your opponent not move. Uh, what's it like? Not invalid. In, what's the word for that? No. no. What's the word for, like, they can't move? Still. Incapacitated. Yeah. And then get them to this place at that. 
and that was a stretcher match, which was ah, held between yeah. Lesnar yeah. and Big Show, and I think that was an amazing match back in. It's kind to of be honest, that's a good stretcher point. Stretcher matches, same. Stretcher matches, kind of different because you have to have them in a particular position, like you have them on the stretcher, mm. and then uh, push them over a line. But it's very points. The, the point is the same. Yeah, it's, it's a similar idea and it's a similar theme, isn't it? You know, hospitalization. Yeah. So anyway, that's the last ride match. I think this is an appropriate time to take our usual mid-show stretch for anybody listening live uh, stay tuned to us we're going to be talking about coffins dirt and by god some steel and heights if you don't know it then maybe do some bit of googling while we take this short break uh, but while we do that uh, Undertaker is famous for a lot of things throughout his career one of them has been his grand stages and entrances so we're going to play a bit of a clip you may not see it but obviously going to hear it of the Wrestlemania 14 entrance of Taker in 1998 before he take on Kane. So we'll be back in five. For those listening live, enjoy. Never do it! He had promised his dead parents! He had never 
brother. He is a younger brother. Two seven-foot monsters. Virtually mirror images of the other. And what must the Undertaker be thinking? Is he thinking about eliminating his brother? Is he thinking about his dead parents? All of those things have got to be going through the mind of the Undertaker. Is he thinking that this could be the last match that he ever has? The man from the dark side making his seventh WrestleMania appearance. And Kane making his first. Ladies and gentlemen, you're coming live from Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, on Welcome back to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. That was The Undertaker's legendary entrance at WrestleMania 1998 before he faced Kane. For those of you listening live, a uh, big shout out to Jay Gallagher, who was meant to be on the panel tonight, but he couldn't make it because his son Fraser is unfortunately not well. So, big shout out to Fraser and Jay from the guys here on the panel. Hi Fraser, hi Jay. So, we are have been talking about gimmick matches of this man. Got a mad remix there, but yes, we are talking about gimmick matches of The Undertaker. For those of you listening live who have not been tuning into the show, we've talked about the last ride match, the Inferno match, the Punjabi prison match, and the Boiler Room Brawl. Now we're going to talk a bit more, Undertaker. Yes, we're going to talk about the casket match. Or, for us in Scotland, the coffin match. The coffin match, yeah. <laughs> so, do we, have, we don't have any special terms for, like, coffins or caskets, do we? Yeah, we call it casket a coffin. Oh, right. <laughs> Most words just have one word. <laughs> so, yes, casket match. So, to many people, this was the original Undertaker gimmick match mm. because... Uh, this was the first one, obviously, it launched off him. Could any of you tell me, from memory, who Undertaker's first opponent was in a casket match? HBK. No, incorrect. No. Terrible history from the st- from the analyst there. Let's boo. Boo. Do, 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 boo. I'm, I'm going to hazard a guess. Uh, I don't know what his name was at the time, but I think it was the big Daddy V guy. No. What? Right. So, yeah. so, I don't want to make this a third wrong guess. Was it Yokozuna? Oh, you're close, but no, it's not Yokozuna. Undertaker first introduced the casket match in 1992, taking on... Ric Flair? No, Kamala. Kamala? Wow. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yes, um, well, so... This is why we have a WWE network. Nine ninety nine. Now, uh, he first took on Kamala in 1992 Survivor Series. It was... But... The reason a lot of people probably don't remember that one because a lot of people would probably think that the first casket match was the one Josh referred to against Yokozuna. For obvious reasons, that's probably the more famous one. Uh, the casket match kind of came about with the idea. Obviously, Undertaker was the mortician. Undertaker, obviously, Undertaker's as a profession, as a job, is what's the better the dead. So the casket match was he built the casket himself and he said, "I'm going to put you in the casket." Blah blah blah. blah. Simple as. 
great gimmick great gimmick match first of all to start him off with I would say yeah I think it sums him up perfectly so obviously Kamala won obviously let's remember I, f- I thought it was Yokozuna as well before the research uh, the Yokozuna one is famous for a number of reasons one the fact it took about six or seven men to put Undertaker into that casket mm. I'm right in saying am I wrong can, some, can you remember some of the names who were involved in putting down Undertaker that night again it's a uh this is like time when we were born, most of us, so I, uh, I don't remember far that far back. Mm-hmm. Something that struck me about that match as being a little bit more uh, compelling than the other matches as a gimmick was that Yokozuna was obviously a, a bigger guy, so when they had to get a massive uh, casket for his size, it almost became a lot more personal, saying that, you know, here's a, a massive oh. coffin we've made specifically for what you a, what a, he had to get like a special box made didn't he well there was a series of vignettes that were shown but essentially every week you would see Taker building this casket mm-hmm. to a point that just before Christmas there was one where he finished the casket and he put the, the reef on the casket and it was just yeah. in his voice he was just like Merry Christmas Yokozuna it's very chilly that is frightening <laughs> yeah but that, that's what I mean though because much. like as far as, as far as gimmick matches go, a lot of them you could really put anyone else into it. You know, yeah. last ride you could put anyone into a car. Ambulance match, put anyone into an ambulance. Fire match, set anyone on fire. But for uh, the casket match, you, you could say the same. But in this case, though, he made it incredibly personal, making this coffin personalised to one guy, that, you know, at the exact right size. It just felt really creepy, especially yeah. if uh, you were a child like I was when watching the match. Yeah, I think there were sometimes like some of his later casket matches as well. He actually made wax dummies of his opponents, and he showed them in the casket like they were just asleep at peace. Well, the thing about this one, Yokozuna, he literally said there was a squad of guys that came out and and, um, helped Yokozuna win the match. Guys like Kevin Nash when he was Diesel, he came out. We had Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett, yeah, yeah, back in his original one. There was so many of them, but obviously Yokozuna got the win because obviously these ten guys versus Taker. Done away. What's really remembered was the post-match, where we saw Taker kind of took. This is the point where Taker took his first, in what is now known as his kind of famous absences from the WWE. And as they took the casket away up the ramp, we saw what appeared to be Undertaker in the casket on the on the Titan Tron. And you seen, you seen what was him rise from the dead, essentially. Which kind of sums up the Undertaker supernatural gimmick. You, you, sh- you got to watch this on YouTube. It's you, back, obviously, when you kind of bought into the kayfabe aspect of it, seeing him up there, and it's, it's essentially say, resting in peace and floating away. It was, it's, it's, it's quite a sight. It's one of the one of the most memorable moments of Taker's early run. Yeah, I mean, I think back then though, it, 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 everyone had a crazy gimmick like that, so it was kind of fun and acceptable, and didn't feel particularly out of place. Uh, that's why I would say it doesn't work as well nowadays. Because everyone's just like an athlete now. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, obviously, t- there's been many casket matches actually. There's been more than I actually fought. I mean, he has the guess that Taker's record in the casket match. Well, I uh, imagine it's lost the majority. He's lost of most them. of them. Yeah, he has won ten and lost four. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, he's done quite well. And some of the guys that he lost to was obviously you had Yokozuna. He lost to Shawn Michaels, which we'll talk about. Lost but to Randy Orton. Lost to Randy Orton and Bob Orton and Bob. Yeah. The one that may not remember was an In Your House 8 Beware of Dog where he lost in an intercontinental title match to Goldust. Mad. That was a casket match. That was a casket match, yeah. The, the most iconic moment from the casket matches for me was when um, Kane 
I think it was Royal Rumble 1998. Yes. Am, am, I, am I cutting you off early? No, here? you have just came right timing, yes. the most One of the most memorable moments of, of all time in the casket match was this. Yes, that was the moment that ended the 1998 Royal Rumble. Uh, David thought this was the first casket match of all time. No, it was well down the list. It was Shawn Michaels' Undertaker. Remembered for, me- for many moments, for being also the night that Shawn Michaels really badly injured his back. Mm-hmm. Or did he just sell Undertaker's ability to steal souls very well? <laughs> we will never know. Because yeah, so, you know, and like back first on the casket, that's kind of what triggered the, yeah, on the injury. Yeah. But, we're not, we're not but ta- presumably if you steal someone's soul, you don't just end up with a sore back. I don't think that would be the main <laughs> symptom. We can't smile at that point. But so. Oh, he stole that as well. That, didn't uh, he? But obviously that was well remembered for the clip as we, showed, as we listened to there, where... Kane came out and cost Undertaker the match and set the casket on fire. Also, going by that clip, like obviously the like the first uh, commentators that I heard watching it was like uh, Vince McMahon and uh, Jr. And then again you had Jr. and Jerry Lawler and Vince and uh, I think they sold it like you seen them like oh my God, Kane's actually set this guy on fire. And you listen to it now, it's Michael going, wow, Bailey. And just like vintage Orton, it's just like the commentators back then sold Undertaker and all the other gimmicks a lot more than what they do now. Absolutely, well, yeah. I, I mean, the, the problem is though, we all we it's, all, it's all Jr. Really, he sells it. That's what the, it is. The moment was great though. It's like when someone does an incredible magic trick in front of your eyes, and you're looking around for the strings or like where's the mm. trick or the catch. And unfortunately, I think when you when you're an older wrestling fan, you tend to always be looking for where's the trick of the camera or whatever but I remember that scene and thinking I see no strings attached like maybe he actually is inside mm-hmm. what are they going to do <laughs> it was amazing because they actually we saw this again in a later casket match I don't know if you remember that one we talked about it just briefly a minute briefly, briefly a minute ago when he took on the Ortons in 2005 yeah no same thing happened exact same thing but well, yeah he like cut it up with an axe as well and then he poured petrol on it before set up a blaze Kane did the exact same thing oh he yeah. poured petrol on it yeah alright oh, <laughs> maybe I was talking about the tr- what's the trick maybe this axe has some sort of misdirection or something like that <laughs> but then they did not open the casket and he wasn't there anymore yeah both yeah, time, apparently, both, yeah, like both times. Time, yeah. Yeah. You didn't really see it as much in the Rumble because I don't think they kind of cut off they cut yeah. off at the point where the flames were up Taker was do- no Kane Kane sorry was doing the pose and that was the end of the Rumble so but it was like, obviously actually there at its height. You kind of thought, "Wow, what? The, he, he's just killed." Well, him. he just killed a man. He just killed a man, <laughs> you know. But casket match was interesting in that one. I mean, moments like that make is maybe why you think Taker doesn't win as many casket matches because he can kind of do this. Yeah, you he know? could do all this uh, crazy uh, performing magic tricks and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I look back fondly on these ones. They're they're probably some of the better known casket matches of all time. Guys, have I missed any classic moments from the casket match in history? Of Undertaker's? Obviously, involving Undertaker, of course. Mm. Well, there was I Undertaker. A lot of them, oh, there was Undertaker, Heidenreich, where Kane and Snitsky got involved. Mm. There were a lot of underwhelming ones, though, like versus Mark Henry. Uh, Mark Henry one was quite. No, that, that was. Uh, that wasn't the original plan for that year's WrestleMania either. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the problem, though. So we're talking about iconic moments with that particular match. 
the kind of common theme being that the best ones were all the earlier ones and then the later ones were a lot more forgettable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that one with with Kane was the peak of the casket match, I would say. Yeah. Because, obviously, it, was that, it, it really, the point that up until that point, him and Taker were a bit cat and mouse kind of thing, you know, like... Taker, he was against Taker, then they were with him, and then that was the point where he truly turned his back on his brother, it and that a, set up that match at WrestleMania. It told a good story, yeah, but see for Mania 22 against Mark Henry, you know, did it need to be a casket match? No, it's just, it was just stuck it after for the sake of it, you know? Yeah, just stuck it in because all, most of the other matches had some sort of, uh, was either a title defence or a gimmick match. Before I move on from casket match, interesting fact, do you know there was three casket matches in 2008? 2008... Can anybody name the opponents that Taker had in those free casket matches in 2008? The oh. Big Show was one of them. There we go, there's one. Yeah, and that was Survivor Series. Uh, what else? And all the Undertaker was, Undertaker was in all of them. Josh, what did you use? Was it the uh, Era of Good Wrestling? Was that uh, buried? I think that was kinda, this was kind of not the Era of Good <laughs> Wrestling, I would say. But there was two other casket matches that year. Yeah. You give up? Anyone got oh, a guess? Go on, let's put I some guesses. I'll hazard a guess is CM Punk. Is it X-Pac? No. Nope. Can X-Pac be the answer to one of the <laughs> questions today, please? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carlito? No. Right, no. Okay, no, 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 seriously. Uh, Umaga? No. No. One was on Raw, one was on SmackDown. The first one was again against Mark Henry. Okay. And the second Poor was... Mark Henry. <laughs> and the second one was against Chavo Guerrero. Oh, wait, yeah, that yeah. was during the La Familia feud, wasn't it? Exactly. Uh, I wouldn't have remembered that. So that is the casket match that's actually worth looking up I'd look that up up next we've got up next on our list of taker matches is a cracker yes it's the match is buried alive yes so up next we've got the buried alive match mm -hmm. I thought that was a great I remember that night of Smackdown when that, that match got announced that was amazing see what's interesting is it's essentially a similar concept to the concrete crypt in that it says <laughs> that someone's got to be basically be buried smothered to death with some sort of substance. I thought that was but for some reason the buried alive match for me that, that feels alright buried someone in concrete feels cruel but uh, buried alive in, in mud no that, that's totally okay see, in the mid 2000s people could have called it either John Cena or Triple H's match <laughs> too soon <laughs> yes so for those of you who are less familiar with the buried alive match Josh kind of summed up quite well you have to bury the guy in dirt <laughs> Uh, I mean, As you who came up with that? Who came up with that concept that so a match you could you could physically suffocate with uh, in dirt? See, so yeah, to be as as the you know, I, I'm not Undertaker fan at all, but I will say that the casket match and the Bird Alive match I feel work because they're actually they make sense for him to try and yeah, and make this as for his gimmick, it and works like, tremendously. Yeah, although for like, the gimmick, most Undertakers don't bury people alive. <laughs> no, you put them in a casket first, then they bury them alive. Most Undertakers don't give people snake eyes either. That's true, that's true. <laughs> Let, let's just get or, out of there. He's not a typical Undertaker. He's kind of more of a maverick. Uh, he's a rogue taker. He's a spooky yeah. dead taker. He's, he's right dead Fred. This is of, this is one of the most rare of Undertaker's main gimmick uh, matches. He really used to love Sarah back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing, yeah. He was a really spooky, oh, scary, the DDP. supernatural monster. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... He, then, it's like the story of a lot of people like they were you know this they were this and that and then they got a girlfriend it's like he hit 35 and he's like oh yeah, I'd better settle down and get stop doing the Undertaker his are really weird as well I, I, I he's got he like old skull and crossbones he's got he's, BSK he had his, Sarah tattooed on his neck as well yeah, yeah now he's had to cover up guys back onto the Buried Alive match can you anybody tell me how many Buried Alive matches there was in WWE history 
Uh, Four? Probably too many. I think there's probably more like six or seven. Nope. Nope. Definitely nope. I would love to see them come back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that close? Uh, you, I don't, there hasn't been a lot. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with nine. No, there was five. Uh, five. Uh, there, was, there was five out of the live mat- matches, and a lot of them are memorable. We'll start with the first one, which was, again, well, back to Mankind. Undertaker Mankind. Undertaker Mankind uh, in your house, 11. Oh, that was iconic, that moment. Like, not during the match, but what happened afterwards? What happened afterwards? Basically, lightning struck the tombstone, and Taker's hand popped out the grave like, Yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> That was a terrible impression. <laughs> uh, it was supposed to be a, a mockery Thankfully, of it. Thankfully, the listeners can't see it. <laughs> I'll be on the Jim Ross there. would have described it differently. <laughs> no, uh, Jim Ross's one was, He's alive! He's alive! That was, that was terrible as well. Yeah. Can do a better see, Jim Ross be- impression? My God, he's alive! That's a slobber knocker! That was better than the, the, the one before that. I'll give you that one. But still terrible. Yeah. Yeah, this was the thing, obviously. Um, can't the, do voices. Undertaker was buried at the end of the first buried, the live match funnily enough mm-hmm. uh, but as me and Kyle discussed this before the show yeah he actually as you, you want to say but he actually won the match yeah technically he won the match I, I looked into it because I'm like usually you lose your gimmick match like stereotypical here across WWE history but the first one he technically won yeah like, because he threw Mankind in yeah but I'm like if the eek, eek. point of it is buried alive surely he lost yeah so Undertaker kind of buried Mankind got enough dirt over him to declare the match but obviously Mankind eventually got out because he got a bit of help from his friends. Who who were his friends? This is great. This is great. This is a great back in wrestling history today. Uh, who was his friends that helped him bury the Undertaker that night? Some of them are well known in current time. Was Austin one of them? Stone no. Cold. Austin was not. All oh, right. I want to say Big Show. Big Show was not. No, Big Show was in WCW at that point in time. Kane. No, Kane was not there either. Oh gosh! Um, are all of them still alive? Yes, the three I'm thinking of are all still alive. Because I think they were the main ones. Vince Pre- McMahon, wait, was Triple H. H. Was it the Brood? It was oh. Triple H. Triple H was one of them. Yes, oh, okay. he's Back when he was Hunter Hearst Hemsley. The other two were Goldust again. Oh God, bloody <laughs> Goldust! And Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Well known, Bradshaw. Well known to many people as. John Bradshaw Layfield, JBL. He was known as Justin Hawk Bradshaw. That was his original gimmick before he became Bradshaw. Mad. These are, you're, you're getting a great history lesson here, David. Yeah, I need a, I need a history <laughs> lesson here. Yeah, so Undertaker lost the first Buried Alive match. The next Buried Alive match came two years later at In Your House 26 in again. 1998. In Your House again. It was this time. In Your House was pretty much every show back then, David. Okay, Just so, yeah. Another history lesson for you in this one. Who did they face that night? Stone Cold. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Got it right. This was the beginning of the Ministry of Darkness. It was the pay-per-view after the crucif- the symbol you held hung Austin on the symbol. Mm. That's a that was a, looking back. That was a great moment. Back at the point it happened, you were like, "Whoa, he's just he's just done that." Yeah, he's just uh, hung, drawn, and quartered somebody. But this is the point. Obviously, what this kind of started with it. Undertaker when he lost many of the live matches, he tended to kind of disappear for a bit, and this was the first example of it. Yeah, uh-huh. because. The two of them fought that night to kind of determine who was going to be in the Royal Rumble. But Taker took some time off and came back as the head of the Ministry of Darkness. Quickly quickly on that one, do you remember the night where where the Ministry technically first started? Mm. On Raw 1999, the first Mm. one? No. The second one, maybe, potentially? Where he, um, was it Sacrificed Midian? Oh, he was a, yeah, he looked proper spooky back then as well. Yeah. 
Any memories was more? That in no, I'm thinking of that moment with the cage match with Midian when he got left on his own. Um, That's something different, isn't it? That was a bit later on. No, this is the point where Midian became part of, uh, became Midian when he was Dennis Knight, and he got he was he was kidnapped on an episode of Heat, and you had all these vignettes. But he was um, we'll talk about it a bit more. When That's we talk probably about why we don't remember it. It was on. Heat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, someone in twenty years' time, do you remember that moment on Superstars? And they're not going to know it. But one of the more memorable. Probably one of my more recent memories to a lot of people is when the 2003 Buried Alive match where he took on Vince McMahon. We played yes. the, week, the we played the clip there of when the match got announced. Uh, Vince thought he was going to take on Brock, but uh, Vince was in for a surprise because uh, he wanted a bit. Taker wanted Vince. It was a great lead up to this Buried, this Buried Alive match. The enemies have some memories of that lead up. I like yeah, it. he was Taker was laughing during the whole promo. He couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, and there was always there was loads of vignettes where he was in the graveyard and he's like, and then. It, he made it come across really personal because you had he was like oh take, he screwed me over so many times the biker chain in the pole match again t- uh, mm. Vince cost him that match pushing him off the, yeah. the turnbuckle and he was all like oh he screwed over Austin he screwed over Brett he screwed over me so I'm going to bury him mm. in Survivor Series literally or metaphorically a bit of both <laughs> potentially it's well known for being the, the recorded shortest buried alive match in history yeah. of all five of them oh I mean can you put on a, a lengthy match with Vince though? Well, it's it's not really remembered much for how actually the match went on. It was remembered for how the match ended. Mm. If we can, do we have we memories yep. of that one? How that match ended? Can we? And that ended to a big, uh, big uh, WrestleMania match. Yep, so I'll, I'll describe it. So Undertaker, <laughs> because Vince McMahon's the big boss, uh, you need more than a shovel to bury him. So he was like, I'll get a JCB or a digger for international uh, fans watching. <laughs> Went and opened the handle and then pff, fireworks shot out. And he was like, ah, oh, my hand. And then Kane entered out of the, the JCB. That's gotta be Kane. <laughs> and then he battered the living bejesus out of uh, Undertaker and put him in the Buried Alive match. I, I remember that uh, uh, once. In the <laughs> Taker really took that blast to the face because that was pretty much yeah, he, he had not no not offense. Elimination chamber, you're thinking of? No, it's the chest. <laughs> Flame bolt of the chest. Yeah, so that was the lead up to the Taker Kane match at WrestleMania 20. But it was that was a surprise, I would say, because you didn't yeah. really, there wasn't really a lot of uh, cross promotional. Because I was Kane was on Raw, Taker was on SmackDown, so you didn't really expect them to be that type of cross promotional mm. sense to it. But it was a it was a good end because you kind of thought you know. We're gonna get rid of Vince for a bit, and then that's gonna be that. But no, yeah, Vince won the Vince. It's, it's amazing. Vince got a victory over Undertaker. <laughs> well, Vince appeared on the SmackDown after he didn't disappear afterwards. Yeah, but you thought I thought he was gonna disappear. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> after all, Vince has done for Undertaker's career. Undertaker probably owes him at least one, doesn't he? <laughs> I suppose it could be argued. Yeah, yeah, pint. Now we've talked about some great moments in buried alive match history. There, that's not my favourite. No, my favourite happened in match number three. Of the Buried Alive five match series. Is this this the other one taker one? This is another one Undertaker one, yes. Yes, this yes, he won, he won more than one Buried Alive match. He only won two out of the five, didn't he? Yeah, but yeah. do you remember what the other one was? No. I do. I know what the last one was, but I don't I know what like the Josh third Hunter one was. Because I've actually researched. <laughs> Josh, do you remember the other one Undertaker one in Buried Alive? Which year? It was in 1999. Uh, was it a tag match? It was indeed, yes. Yeah, it was oh, a tag match. tag team buried alive, yeah. Yeah, it was The Undertaker and The Big Show versus The Rock and Sock Connection in a buried alive match on SmackDown. Wow. Back in the early days of SmackDown where they pulled out all the stops. 
no, the moment I remember from that one was how the match technically ended. Where the big show took mankind from the stage and literally threw him from the stage mm. into the grave. <laughs> a direct shot. It's literally... You need to look this up. This <laughs> literally... Right, I'm Googling this. I need to see the this. The best thing you'll ever see. It was literally like... Like you went into the... Left, he went into the left, grave, he didn't even like skim the ground or anything. No, it was like one he bounce in. One bounce in. Right. But the bounce was like from you to Josh. From me to Josh. Right, it was a good five feet bounce. So if Josh was the, the gravesite, I was the spot where he bounced. Why do you have to... This doesn't help. We've got one person saying five feet and I'm sitting right next to Dave and someone's saying, oh, it's <laughs> That's not five feet, that's like I mean, two feet. Right, the bounce was spectacular. Where we go with that? Yeah. Let's it was do a that. spectacular bounce. And mankind's not exactly a cruiserweight. Anybody listening live or on demand... Please let us know the exact distance. We would love to hear. <laughs> yeah, do some video analysis or something. Get your tape measure out. <laughs> so wait, hold on, hold on. Video analysis, but get your tape measure out. Yeah. So you're gonna measure it on the on the on the tail. It's just another just Friday night for that, you. <laughs> yeah. That was ten pixels of bounce. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it does like to say he's the analyst, you know. Well, there's lots of ways to analyze stuff. Alright, so you're gonna right. Stop it. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. <laughs> Buried Alive, obviously, the, the, the only match we've not really talked about was uh, the most recent one where he took on Kane. Yep. And um, that didn't end great for Taker either. No, the Nexus buried him. That's what happened. Can we talk What was the point in that? <sighs> I don't get it. Unless Wade Barrett was going to have a match was, with Taker, it just made no sense. I think it was foreshadowing for the burial of Nexus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose that's one way of putting it. Do you think Barrett was going to end up taking on Taker though, when they originally planned there it? There were talks of it, yeah. Uh, I love that. You know, I think people were saying like Wade Barrett would be the one to break the streak, establish him as a top star. Oh, hindsight. It's a great thing. Mm. <laughs> but no, instead, of the build-up to media, we got the uh, second-rate new Nexus and the core. And Taker took on Triple H. In a no-holds-bar match, which was match of the night, probably. Yeah, so, so I mean, something good came out of it. There's a silver lining to everything, but to put it out, Taker didn't do very well in burying the line matches. No. Mm. What was the only one? You only won two out of the five. Well, two, he won two out of three. Buried four times. Uh, the one was the tag match, he wasn't even involved in the finish. I think he got distracted and ended up fighting The Rock backstage. Mm. Uh, and that's when Big Show buried Mankind. No, no, Triple H buried Mankind. But oh, that's, a diff- right. that, that's a whole different story. How, how do you think WWE feel like a few weeks later when they're like, oh, we buried, we killed off one of our characters. How do we unkill them? <laughs> Give them supernatural powers, of course. Give them more vignettes and say he's coming back next week. Or just, like, delete it from the website and hope it's no one remembered Delete, that delete, yeah. delete. Yeah. Have we got any more memories of Buried Alive before I move, we move on to, the, to, our fi- to our final gimmick match? I think Kane standing over the JCB as Vince poured the dirt on Taker Survivor yeah. Series was a good, good it image. Was, it was good. The image, I like the image in that match where uh, take, uh, Kane lay over the grave. Yeah, just holding the dirt. That was that's my most favorite moment. It was in bad taste, and that's why we love it. <laughs> yeah. And Kane was maniacally laughing as well. It's like, yes, I finally got him. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> then, 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 seven years later, they had a, they had their own buried alive match. <laughs> yeah, and he won that as well. He was involved in the first one. I love how on, I'm on this site. It kind of describes it. It describes Vince McMahon brackets with Kane. It's, it's, it's like Kane was with him the whole time, you know? like his manager or something. Yeah, but, but, but the minute Kane showed up, Vince kind of scrolled, uh, ran he, away. He climbed into the JCB and pulled the lever. Yeah, oh yeah, so he did. Yeah, but then you never seen them again. So yeah, any more from Buried Alive, or are we going to bury that and move on? Let's bury it and move on. Oh, I see what you did. <laughs> We're all slick over here and eat sleep suplex retweets. Yeah. <laughs> Right, 
Oh, that was quite loud. Uh, final gimmick match of The Undertaker is by far the most famous, one of the most famous matches in wrestling history. No, we're not talking about the Baker Chain on the pole match. No, we're not talking about the the Kennel of Doom, whatever the heck Kennel that of Hell. Kennel of Hell, yes, exactly. No, we're talking about Hell in a Cell. Yep. Dude, am I the only guy that loves Hell in a Cell? No, are, are, are we I'm, all big fans of Hell in a Cell? Yeah? I really like Hell in a Cell. I think it's a good uh, feud ending match. I like it's just no, been done to death though I think especially like the last five years at least mm. when it's been again mainly because it's since it became a pay-per-view it really mm. annoys me it's like oh this gimmick oh I wonder how this will end but what makes it worse like I one of the one of my favourite matches is I'm a big Lesnar fan and obviously Lesnar Taker I think it was two years ago now or maybe even last year fought 2015 yeah, yeah, yeah you're right two and it's like, oh, you've got the Beast versus the Spooky Dead Man inside Hell in a Cell. Oh, wait, but remember, kids, it's October, so we've got to have these Susan G. Coleman pink ropes. What? Yeah, no, I, I, right, I completely agree. Like, Regardless of whether you agree with, uh, regardless of, of support of Susan G. Coleman in that cause, like, it didn't fit the match well at all. Mm. And also, it, I mean, I hate to be this guy, but I mean, a lot of people will remember it wasn't the first time that Brock Lesnar versus Undertaker had happened. I'm yeah. assuming they were just going to forget that, you know, they ever fought inside Hell in a Cell before. Yeah, I, I don't mind when WWE repeat things, but I hate when they repeat it and pretend it never happened. Uh, I hate that. Uh, do any of you know from your history who was the man who pitched the Hell in a Cell match? X-Pac has to be X-Pac. Like, see, if I say X-Pac every week, eventually it's going to be X-Pac. You'll get there eventually, Josh. Okay, it's not X-Pac. <laughs> I'm going to say someone like Owen Hart or Bret Hart. No, 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 no they, they were, uh, Bret was just before Bret left, actually. So. But no, it wasn't any Give of us a clue. Give it wasn't clue. Russo, was it? Russo came up with the name. Okay. Russo did not come up with the match. It was somebody who doesn't like Russo. He's a, he was a manager... Well, that could be anybody, really. He was an authority figure in TNA. Mm. Jim no. Oh, Jim Cornette. Bingo. That's it. Oh, I didn't know that. Jim Cornette came uh, Jim Cornette was my second guess. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After, after the clues, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jim Cornette was the man who pitched the hell, the, came up with the Hell in the Cell match. That's a good bit of history there. Uh, but Vince Russo and came Russo, up with the name. Russo like called the Hell in a Cell. <laughs> it could be anyone, but Jim Cornette's my second guess. <laughs> I don't think anybody would do a guest Jim Cornette, but no, yeah. So Hell in a Cell was designed to be the accumulation, the ending of the rivalry between the Undertaker and the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. Uh, it was always defined accumulation for the, yeah. for the fans at home who are sitting home who don't have like sufficient <laughs> education. We need like a dictionary or a, thes- or a thesaurus here. Yeah, uh, for most wrestling fans who don't know the word accumulation. <laughs> Your wrestling word. I think what you meant was culmination as well. Culmination. That's it, not accumulation. That's why I changed the word because I realised I'm a totally different thing, yeah. It's like Sid Vicious cutting a promo over there. I'm not that bad, trust me. Can we talk about that match at Madden? We can edit it out, but we're not going to. Of course not. It makes it even better. It makes it feel natural. It's a live broadcast, we'll just roll with it. <laughs> the the greatest part of Undertaker's gimmick happened that night. Yes, indeed. But he just but kills people in hell in a cell. No, 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 no. No, but talk, I think I know what he's talking about. But the, the actual match itself, we had the spots, the actual the bloodiness. It was brutal, and we loved it. And you there's know, a bad blood. 
bad it was blood. bad blood, yeah. It was brutal and we loved it. I mean, there was a spot where uh, Sean was hanging from the side of the cell through the t- through the table. Amazing match. Probably, I think that was a, a that was a Meltzer five star. I'm right in thinking. Mm, I can't remember, but um, I think it was. Yeah, I think. I it mean, was. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Yeah. I mean, that, that I don't think I don't think that's any of the moments that Kyle's referring to, though. No, it's not. What's the moment you're referring to? So this happened at the end of the match where Paul Bearer was at just outside the ring, uh, I believe. And uh, and the whole build up to this was Undertaker, your brother's still alive, and then we get Kane, who I would say is the best part of. Uh, the Undertaker's gimmick. So I, I watched it from like 95, 96 as a child. So I was never an Undertaker fan because again, it was just these punch matches. But Kane, I mean, you look at it now, this is a gimmick that could definitely not have worked now. You get this big spooky dude who's in like cartoon red just coming out and then he rips the door off the cell. It's one of the best lines in commentary history when Kane yeah. comes out, the Jim Ross going, that's gotta be Kane! And it's just like, it's amazing. And it's obviously, as you say, rips the door off, chucks the door away, and, and Taker's just looking at him going, Oh, the, the heck? Seen, I've just seen a ghost, man. <laughs> yeah. And it's then, the best mask. It's a great, oh, it's a great, it's a great. Is that your favourite cane mask, the original? Yes. I quite liked it in 2002, but it was just, just like half his, like just his eyes and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I quite liked that one. But uh, no, the original one was great. The original was great, yeah, I liked that one. You know, I mean, we've talked about Kane quite a lot in these gimmick matches, but obviously that was the, the definition mm. of Kane, you know, that's when Kane really came about. But the, uh, that, that whole, the whole match, the ending, just made that, in many people's eyes, it's still the best Hell in a Cell of all time. Still best Hell in a Cell moment, yeah. Plus it's one of the few well, matches. Well, well, actually, yeah. It's probably one of the few times WWE haven't overbooked something. Like, so many times I'll watch as a fan, like, especially this year's Royal Rumble, I'm like, what on earth is going on? Like, just, you know, I'm all behind a screwy finish or a unclean help assist if it makes sense, and this made perfect sense. Yeah, well, as I say, that's potentially one of the best of all time. However, some may argue that it was this. What's going to happen here? Undertaker fighting back. He's fighting back. They're right above us, folks, and I don't like it a damn bit. That was, uh, so that was the moment of King of the Ring 1998 where we got Taker, Mankind and one of the, the most iconic moment in wrestling history. Not just that time, I, would, yeah. I would say. Guys, let's talk about the spot. Uh, <laughs> the Mankind spot. So, um, I'm gonna as, it's, as it's been documented, that apparently wasn't something that was scheduled to happen uh, and um, you know was decided completely on the fly. And I think that's why it caused such a commotion. Yeah, there's a lot of things that happened that match that weren't supposed to. So what happened, for everyone at home who probably already knows what this is, was Undertaker went and threw Mankind right off the top of the Hell in a Cell through the commentary table. At that point. Which is about a 20-foot drop. Well, at that point, it was a 16-foot cell at that point in time. So it was it was a drop. It was quite a drop. It was a big, big drop. But it was the shock factor. It was just like, he just like grabbed them. There was a, there was a talk at that point. Was it real or was it scripted? You know, nobody could really tell because Probably. at that point you seen a man flying 16 foot through a table. 
Yeah. It, it was, it's, it's, a, it's a scary spot. I think it, the it, it just fall straight down as well. He, he kind of went diagonally because he was throwing like from a distance, mm-hmm. and then as if he was aiming for the table rather than just being pushed down onto it. Yeah. The other thing that went well, I, I don't want to say went wrong, but the other thing, major moment that happened that night was uh, he then got up and climbed back on top of the cell. Mankind climbed back on top of the cell, and Undertaker choke slammed him, and the cell roof broke, meaning he fell uh, right through to the ring. A steel chair followed him uh, on his fall and landed and uh, knocked one of his teeth out on impact when he hit the ring. Oh, no, he didn't knock his teeth out. He knocked his teeth up, up, up into his mouth. There's, yeah. that, there's that iconic picture of Turf mm. of Mick Foley in the corner with the blood on his face with the tooth in his nose and he's mm. just laughing. It's one of the most iconic images in wrestling history. Yeah, well, I don't know whether he's laughing or whether he's wincing, to be honest. It's hard to tell. <laughs> but when, you're, when you've been through that much, it's probably a difficult one to tell. <laughs> but for a moment, I mean, that just was... It was unreal. Yeah. Just seeing that one. I mean, that, and, and that would kill even, a normal guy. That's not even, like... Uh, you know, that's ignoring what happened after when he then got dropped on thumbtacks twice uh, in the middle of the ring to finish the match. Did he not, like, break ribs or rupture his spleen or something? Well... <laughs> I don't know. He's had a lot of did, injuries. Did any you, did you, did you know actually that Undertaker actually got injured in that match as well? How? Do you not remember? That? At the point... He didn't did break his finger, did he? No, it was at the point where he just choke slammed him through the, the roof and he was coming from the roof back to the ring and on the drop, oh, he the broke jump, he, yeah. on the jump, he broke his foot. Oh, God. I think that's why he took time off earlier in the year when the gimmick changed. That's why, because his foot was done in at that point. So he broke his foot then. But at that point, when he broke his foot, he probably felt like, well, I don't want to say I've got no leg to stand on, but he probably had no <laughs> no leg to stand on, where, you know, sitting down when Mankind's getting back up after all that. But do you know what was special about that match, though? What's that? Um, if, you know, so the story, the story seems to go um, that that was something that happened completely on the fly. And if you look at the preparation that was done, there was, like, none. So when Mankind came flying off the cell, it was not just right through the table. It was right through those monitors as well. It was incredibly <sighs> dangerous. And he went under the guardrail. Yeah, it, it was, It was. you know, horrific. But in recent years, as WWE always try and do, they try and repeat the same spot over and over and over again and hope that people have forgotten the first time it happened. So, for instance, Shane McMahon, you know, yes. jumping off the cell at WrestleMania mm. 32... Um, and then the he only does it like a few months but, earlier. But yeah, but the, the thing about that is is that you can't recreate something like that. You can try to, but the, the point was the first time it was shocking because it, it was completely, uh, you know, done on the fly. There was no preparation involved. You had no idea whether a man just got seriously injured. And you don't want to be in a situation where you wonder if someone's been seriously injured. That's not what any fan wants. But a moment like that can't be recreated by WWE. No, totally. But see, it's I feel there's not been enough take her hate and uh, that's that's why I came on the show I actually don't like this match I think I compare this match to I believe it was 2005 Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan is it that match? You compare that, it to that, that match? Wait, what? Yeah, I'll tell you why, right? You're, you're going to think like I'm The one where HBK's practically breakdancing in the, ma- in the, whole, in the whole match. Yes, because both Shawn Michaels and Mankind do almost everything in that match and Undertaker, I mean, obviously Undertaker throws, you know, he has to put his arm out and do something. He has to climb up. But I, th- I think this is why I've always hated Taker. He's this big guy and he does punches. Okay, fair enough, he had a couple of good matches where Shawn Michaels and Batista and a few others have carried him through. But Taker's been this big guy and you say, oh, he's not a flag. But, you know, at this time we've got Braun, someone like Braun Strowman and Lesnar came later. So big guys can move fast. And 
everything in that match was entirely down to mankind. And I would say he's one of the most underrated of all time. I would, like, on a list of, like, top ten, Mankind's, like, Joshua definitely agree with me on that. He's, he should be way up there. And Taker has not done enough. It's like, he will always be immortalised as a spooky guy. Because he's been there for ages, and he's been involved in all these things. But I feel it's the other people that have done a lot more. You've, you, you raise a fair point, I think. Especially in those earlier matches. The guys, the guys they faced off with, the likes of the Mankind's, the Austin's, the Kane's, Lesnar's helped mm. define them. You know, so it's a fair point, you know, but uh, but the mankind spot there, I mean, that was one of the most famous moments of wrestling history. One, one, one people look on quite fondly, actually, despite the situation. Mm. Vault Taker's Hell in a Cell history has not always been looked at too fondly. We got that the next year in 1999 at WrestleMania 15, where he took on <laughs> the big boss man. That was another really bad taste yeah. moment as well. Yeah, for those of you not familiar with that moment, WrestleMania 15, Taker took on the boss man in a Hell in a Cell, Undertaker won, and to end the match, Undertaker summoned the brood, Edge, Christian and Gangrel, from the ceiling, they brought with them a noose, and you could probably gather what happened Can from there. Can you say that on the show? Yeah. I'm not. I've just said they came with a noose. I don't, I'm not. I'm not going to describe the actual. Just, th- you, just use your imagination. I know. I know they've said things backstage about Batista, but I could tell you that Big Boss Man was well hung that night. <laughs> <laughs> right. No. No. no okay, no, no, no. that's no, where we draw the line. Oh, jeez, jeez. So yeah, thoughts on thoughts on that spot, guys. <laughs> uh, that was just pure taste. Yeah, like, pe- were people actually? Were they? Were the audience mortified or were they actually cheering it? See, I think it's weird looking at it back now because this was like that attitude era and you had all this crazy stuff go on and it was like, you know, it was one of those times where even outside of wrestling, things were just going like what, you know, it was that culture of the time. So I think at the time it was like, oh, what is it, what is going on? And I think it's maybe a bit more like easy to sit in this place and go, oh, well, that was in bad taste. Like you say, hindsight's a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think for them to do it when he's like, I'm ministry and I'm coming to take your soul. It made sense. Yeah, you, I am ministry and coming to take <laughs> your soul. I, I was tempted to say I'm coming to get you, but it's that's a, another. It sounds a bit like Mikey Whiplash. I am yeah. Legion. I am, but I mean, I think we. Uh, the streak's probably a different show, but the yeah. most disappointing hell in a cell for me was actually WrestleMania 28. I think it was a... What? Oh, what? Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Guys, uh, listen, I mean, it's a classic case of over-marketing. If you think about it, it wasn't particularly great. There was nothing particularly impressive about it, but just because they had a bunch of interviews later on from WWE reviewing their own show, saying it was the best match of the year just because they got some nice highlights out of it, doesn't necessarily make it a good match. See. See, it, was, it was not as good as previous I years matches at all. I think they should stop doing the Hell in a Cell. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't, it wasn't the best Hell in a Cell match I've seen, but I think the it story was, leading up to it, it was, was a great. I thought, I, I'm looking back as a guy watching it live. I thought it was great watching it live. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I would, ac- I would agree that it wasn't as good as the match the year before they had Triple H. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it was a disappointment. I would say... I legit thought, you know, story, either one story, or both of them going to retire. Storytelling... Did the job. I just think it was okay, but the problem was it was then later on retrospectively marketed as one of the best matches in WWE, particularly in that year, and particularly only by WWE. And I just think that it's one of those things where if WWE say it enough, often fans start to begin to agree, oh yeah, it was the greatest match ever. It wasn't a particularly impressive match. 
I still think Triple H Undertaker's first Mania match was the best. The one at 17? Yeah. Good match. Was that a street fight or a no holds bar? Oh, no, something like that. Uh, no holds bar. I remember the spot with the choke, the choke slam at the state. The yeah, stage. they climbed up. They climbed up there. It was something. It was something, something like that. It ended up there. That was a great match as well. Actually, that was good. That's that's not talked about enough. Are we all in agreement then that the Hell in a Cell is just a poor man's Punjabi prison? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to stop doing that. Like, if any of those watched NXT, they brought back War Games, which was amazingly done. Hadn't been seen in years. Because they did it once. Yeah. Yeah, we need to stop doing Hell in a Cell. They we did need it to once. Just get more War Games matches. Yeah. Cutting holes in the side of Hell in a Cell for them to climb they, up. They, yeah, because previously what they did was they built gimmick matches around fantastic storylines. But now what they do is they build uh, storylines around preset gimmick matches, and that just takes away the entire point of yeah. storytelling. And is that pace. like sorry? Is that like uh, putting like Hell in a Cell as like its main gimmick pay per view? Not only do they make it its own pay per view the same time every year they make it a pay-per-view that has two or three hell in a cells on it but it should be a one-off every year or something well but that's the thing i I wouldn't even set a time on it if you wanted to have one like every second month if there was a reason to do it for Mm. a storyline like fine but at the moment there's just no there's just no unpredictability with it everything's been Mm. done a lot of spots have been you know redone plenty of times and it's as kyle says it's just getting stale i think there's only two gimmick matches that work on pay-per-view and they're Rumble and Survivor Series I would say the Money in the Bank's the other one Money in the Bank oh, definitely Money, yeah. Bank, but, uh, Money, the, Money in the Bank's my favourite match moving away from the actual the whole Hell in a Cell back to The Undertaker said he's had lots of these matches in the cell mm. I mean he's got the record he's had 14 matches won 8 and some of them have been, have been great uh, matches I mean I particularly like the 6 man Hell in a Cell at the Armageddon 2000 that yeah. Taker was involved in the Who took the pinfall in that match? Because the Angle won it. I think it was the The Rock took the pinfall. Yeah. yeah, The Rock took it and Angle did the pin. But uh, there was a whole thing about that before. It. I mean, take there was talking about Taker's going to make someone famous with the cell because they were referring yeah. back to that mankind one. And the man who was the victim of it was Rikishi that night. Yeah, yeah. Rikishi's amazing. Choke slammed into the like, uh, back of a truck. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the truck was random in the match. I mean, it only came out because Vince, Vince and the Vince and the Stooges thought they were going to come out and tear the cage down. That was their answer to everything in that attitude. Oh, we'll bring a truck down to the ring. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, why is that truck still there? Oh wait, yeah, that's why. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that one. I mean, it's just so we don't physically kill Rikishi. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's a different story. But Rikishi's done some pretty impressive dives uh, off of cages without yeah. um, any kind of padded landing I mean the other ones as well we talked about as well two matches with Lesnar yeah the one in 2002 mm. is up there as one of my favourite Hell in a Cell matches of all time I don't know if he's agree on that one it was brutal that match brutal and it was brilliant tons of blood as well at the same time Taker had the broken hand storyline at that point in time helped added to it Lesnar looked amazing and if you look at that one compared to the one they had in 2015, it just shows the difference. And obviously, Taker was older, obviously. He was a I bit mean, I would still say the one in 2015 was awesome. I said it was good, yeah. But I it was not that as good as that no. one, there, I would say. I, I mean, think that's the thing. I think, again, like Undertaker never was the athletic guy. But I will give him credit for the whole storyline and the whole like acting ability that he'll just be Undertaker even when he's on different shows or interviews. He's the Undertaker. I don't think Mark Calloway exists outside of his house. The Undertaker's taken over. Yeah, so that's what we'll give him credit for. And I think the psychology within the 2015 match and that whole run was just on another level that perhaps a lot of athletes 
uh, as their gimmicks don't have. They're like, I'm coming here and I'm going to wrestle. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't want that. Just tell me a story. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, going back to what Josh said about the pay-per-views having gimmicks, they're kind of just like, oh, Jason Jordan versus Chad Gable have been feuding for a while. Let's stick them in a the cell. And it just doesn't have the same <laughs> effect. Like all these moments yeah, we talk totally. about growing up is because these were when all the well, wrestling moments if, were. If you look at some of Taker's matches in the Hell in a Cell, it's kind of been a cute... Uh, I'm not going to say it. The ending of the feuds. Uh, you've got the one that's... Uh, it's one of Batista. It's Survivor Series mm-hmm. 2007. was the end of a year-long feud the two of them had. He's one with Edge in 2008. SummerSlam, it's yeah. SummerSlam. Now, that was a great Hell in a Cell match. I really enjoyed that one. There uh, were so many big spots in it as well. If you look at some of the ones that don't make sense in Undertaker's career, is one with Kane, mm-hmm. i say it was silly, because that was a Hell in a Cell. He's one with CM Punk, was which was a squash. was a squash. And back again to the one with Shane. Shane McMahon. Yeah. He's like, the most what on earth was that all about? I thought that was a poor choice. I don't really see the point in the cell in that match. Some good moments, it was, I though. think it was... Sorry, uh, on you go. Oh, no, after that's all I had to say. No. Uh, no, I think the reason they made that Hell in a Cell is because I think WrestleMania 32 was uh, getting some pretty low buy rates so they needed something to sweeten the deal. Like, yeah. give it, give people a reason to tune in. And just bringing a truck down to the ring was so <laughs> attitude either. Yeah. I mean, I'm not... I'm no, still, I hate I'm, that match. I, 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 I thought it was terrible. I thought it was absolutely terrible. The whole show was terrible. I would like to know the statistics. I know they did a Lesnar scene off, like, how often Cena was on his back during that match how often was Taker on his back during that 32 match because it was a lot and he was just dribbling on Shane I'm like why are they still making him wrestle at that point because it was like why because that whole thing it was kind of the shock factor as you say David is probably to drive up ticket sales like after the rumble oh Shane McMahon's back and you're going to fight the Undertaker and you're going to have Hell in a cell, and you're gonna do, off the company. You're gonna do a big spot as well. That'll get people talking. Right, guys, we're into the last five minutes of this of the okay. show. Can I quickly share something before we Please go to the last go for it. segment? Uh, does anyone remember? I know we did gaming a few weeks ago as a subject on this podcast, but does anyone remember there was a game? I think it was SmackDown versus Raw. It was maybe 2008 or nine. I can't remember, but the the story mode essentially revolved around. Um, Undertaker possessing random members of the Yes, roster. I remember <laughs> that. We discussed I that. <laughs> I remember they possessed uh, Santino Morello. And, and Finlay as well. Rem- yeah, and Finlay. And then they became, uh, like, zombie Santino became an unlockable character. That's right. And then when you walked around backstage, uh, everyone was, like, dead and it was all dark and stuff like that. Because I remember being, like, vaguely scared and creeped out of that. I don't think I was, like, I don't think I was, like, 10. I think I was, like, 24 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember that uh, vividly. It was, I mean, it was, it seemed kind of silly, but you know, it's, you know, the video game world, you can do anything and it's video game storylines are a lot cheesier than real life. I don't think it was much cheesier than what was going on on TV, but that's fine because it's wrestling and it's cheesy and it's sometimes in bad taste and that's right, why I love it. Yeah. So moving on to the, uh, for the final bit of the show, Undertaker gimmick matches. Favourite of the gimmick matches we've discussed and of that gimmick match, your favourite of those matches. We'll start with Kyle. Uh, the non-Undertaker fan let's start with that yeah I would, I would say the only two for me that are his have to be buried alive in casket and I would say mm, I'd say the caskets are my favourite and I think I'll have to choose the Orton one because I love that feud and this is when I loved Orton which like, ended in the hell in the sale as well actually it did yeah mm-hmm. and it was like the legend killer that went on for like a, a long time that went feud. on for mania that year till Armageddon mm-hmm. and then the end of your great feud and it was Orton that kind of mentioned the streak because I don't think there was mention. No, that was the that. first official mention of the streak, so that was great as well. Josh, 
Uh, I like them all for different reasons, but my favourite has to be Hell in a Cell. Um, my favourite of which probably has to go to... Uh, yeah, 1998 King of the Ring, Mankind vs. The Undertaker. The one that WWE will tell you is the best, and the one that I agree is the best. David? No, I have to agree with Josh. Uh, Hell in a Cell, King of the Ring match. That it's was not a match, it's a spot fest. Uh, Sorry guys. It wasn't it's meant to be. It wasn't meant to be a spot point. fest, but you know, it has... It has all the memorable moments and people are still talking about it today. And that's kind of what they set the bar for how brutal Hell in a Cell could potentially be. Quacko, you've observed this full, observ- this full chat from a distance. What's your thoughts? I was even introduced, so I have no opinion. Oh, 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 come on. You take the fall for that. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Uh, <laughs> right, he said biker chain match, yes. <laughs> he said biker chain on a pole. Uh, personally, I would go with Mike, uh, his match with Michaels. First hell in the cell. Yeah, not bad shout. Tremendous. Absolutely brilliant. Right, so that has been the first of our special episodes on The Undertaker. Uh, pretty much going through all these gimmick matches. We'll be doing another four on Undertaker in the coming months. We'll be looking at things such as feuds, matches, gimmicks themselves, and of course, the streak. But from us, it's Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. We obviously, if you're listening to us live, follow us on Twitter, we are at ESS Retweet and Facebook as well at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. As I said, we are part of the Fusion Takeover section of Strathclyde Fusion, so on Twitter at Fusion underscore Takeover. If you've listened live and you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe to us. We're on iTunes, Castbox, TuneIn, and various other podcasting sites. So subscribe and you can catch all our past episodes. As I said, we the gaming episode that Josh talked about, things about the evolution of NXT, and a special on Eddie Guerrero. So Following on from us, if you're listening live, those old school classics with Sean Bryson, if you're listening on the podcast, again, listen to more. We'll be, we've got loads. We listen to all our episodes. <laughs> Next week we'll be back with another special. We've got some great stuff in store towards the end of the year. So from us at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, I've been Stephen Wilson. I've been David Hockney. X-Pac. <laughs> Joshua Hong. That's got to be Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> and from our EP Kwaku Aji. So I'll see you next week. Enjoy.